This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a practicing veterinarian and longtime cat lover. So as sort of my focus of this show, I like to provide my cat-loving listeners with resources and to educate them about ways to keep cats happy and healthy, and that's kind of been a theme. Today, I wanted to introduce my listeners to a resource that you might not have ever heard of that can help you make better choices about parasites, parasites and your pet. And it is called the Companion Animal Parasite Council. And I have Dr. Rick Marinson with me today to kind of explain to us what CAPC is and really educate us on why parasites are so important to all of us. So we'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. As I said, I have Dr. Rick Marinson with me today. Hi, Dr. Rick. Hi, Kat. How are you? I am well. So I actually love CAPSI. The Companion Animal Parasite Council is certainly a resource that I use in my everyday practice. But can you explain a little bit to my listeners about what it is and how it came to be? That is a really, really great question. So the Companion Animal Parasite Council began back in the early 2000s. It was originally a brainchild of Novartis Animal Health, which ironically no longer exists. And the idea was to bring together a board of parasitologists, of practicing veterinarians, of sometimes other types of healthcare professionals, anything that would be in the realm of parasites that could affect animals and or their families. And our mission was to create that resource for veterinarians and for the pet owning public that they could refer to for the identification, the treatment, and most importantly, the prevention and testing for parasites. And this thing has so grown over the years, I think that what this organization has become and the resources that we've developed have far surpassed the original intentions. It was, you know, initially it was a lot of guidelines, information on parasites and their life cycles and how to test for them and how to treat for them. 
Now we have gotten into not only documenting the incidence of parasites, but we are now able to predict them. And because we have been successful at this mapping and prediction process, we have even begun to use those tools to branch out into some non-parasitic diseases just simply because we can. It, it's become such a successful resource that our uh, pharmaceutical partners are clamoring for this information to be presented in a lot of different ways. So it's a multifaceted organization. I am a general practitioner and have been on the board for the past six or seven years, and I am honored right now to be serving as the president of the board. Wow, that's really great. So I tell my clients a lot about the zoonotic risk of parasites, and that's why I think that parasites are important, one of the reasons. But can you talk to us a little bit about why you think that parasites in pets is important for us to know about? I think it's an incredible thing that I suppose my initial focus, and it, and it really flowed downstream from there, but my initial focus being a practitioner in the Central Florida area, when I first became a veterinarian, fleas were just an unbelievable threat to our pets. There was not a week that went by that we did not have at least one dog and one cat that we would have to be giving a blood transfusion to them because they were so anemic from fleas. We had pet families bringing in their cats and dogs looking to euthanize them because they could not control their flea populations. And it's ironic now that my clients, if they see one flea, they call me freaking out, which tells you how much we've advanced in that care. But I recognized how much that parasite became an impediment in the relationship between the pet parent and that pet and how important it was to give people solutions to take care of that particular problem. Fleas are just the one thing that people see. That doesn't even take into account the internal parasites that are often out of sight, out of mind, and very often can have that zoonotic potential. There are issues that can go from the pet to the family, particularly children in the household. So one of the biggest jobs veterinarians should be doing is educating people on how to protect themselves and to protect their pets, and parasites are just a huge part of that. I completely agree with you. It's funny that fleas can come to the forefront. Like if I have a, a client that has to choose between heartworm preventative or something like that and flea control, they'll pick flea control because fleas are just, I don't know, they're like our poster child or something. I love them and hate them at the same time. Yeah, they're just such a tenacious creature. You know, they people joke about how the roaches will be here long after mankind is done. I'm sure fleas are going to be right there with them. And it has really been a challenge to stay ahead of the curve on not only how to, you know, prevent them on the animals, how to keep them out of the environment, how to stop an infestation, the amount of misinformation that's out there that, you know, especially at the age of the internet where people can go and look up a lot of things that may not be the best solution. So again, veterinarians are still at the forefront of trying to disseminate the good information, to educate people, to get the right tools in their hands, and hopefully CAPC is a big part of that effort. Yeah, I want to get back to that and tell my listeners how they can use these resources and stuff, but I want to ask you a few more questions too. Do you think that cat owners specifically blow off protection from parasites? There is something about an animal that because it lives you know, more and more as a protected indoor pet, right? I mean, there were days in my career where 
there were a lot of cats that were indoor outdoor and still there's you know a fair number of those but more and more they are coming to live strictly inside of our homes and somehow in people's minds that translates that parasites are no longer a risk and so another perfect example of where some education can go a long way to make sure we're taking the best care of those kitties yeah, I agree. I was going to say, what about indoor cats? I hear a lot when I'm seeing a cat for a flea allergy, maybe they'll say, but she lives inside. So I'm sure that in Florida, you have a similar experience. Exactly. And you know, cats, they're so fastidious. They clean themselves so well. I've had plenty of times with feline patients where I know it's a flea related issue and the people swear to me they have never seen a flea. And so when it literally, if your pet happens to have a flea allergy, it's no longer just an irritation. It's a true allergic reaction. One flea can be the trigger and you may never see that flea, but it is exactly when we take that out of sight, out of mind attitude, when we let our guard down, that's when it's going to come back to bite us or in this case, literally bite our cats. Well, one time I had an allergic reaction to a medication that I had to take and it gave me hives. And I think that changed my life in treating these pets that have allergic disease and allergic itching and things. It really, I mean, it's miserable. It's a quality of life issue and people don't think it's that big of a deal, but experience it and you will know that it is a big deal. That is so funny that you say that. There was several years ago now, but I was well into my adulthood when I experienced my first bout of poison ivy. and. It wasn't terrible, you know, during the day if I'm distracted, but when I would lay down to go to bed at night and I would start to itch and I thought, oh my gosh, if this is the way my patients feel, that is so miserable. And it literally did change my attitude towards treating my allergic patients. So maybe we should have uh, something in vet school where every student gets hives or poison ivy or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't think you're getting a lot of volunteers, but it would be very helpful. <laughs> so what about the wintertime? I mean, I live in Tennessee, you live in Florida, and I still get pushback from clients occasionally saying that they don't need to, to do parasite control in the wintertime. But do you have an opinion on that? There is no question. And every bit of research supports this, and that is parasites are a year-round issue. And you know, there's very rare places where it becomes so cold for such a continuous length of time that parasites literally become dormant. And when you talk about the environment inside of your home that is climate controlled, humidity controlled, pretty much the same range of temperature all year long, take those fleas again. If you have an issue with fleas getting into your house, they don't care what temperature it is outside. They're going to be an issue in your home. And all it takes is two fleas to get in to become 2,000. One of the prized possessions of one of the parasitologists on our board who practices where he teaches at Cornell, so upstate New York, exceedingly cold wintertime, he has a photograph of a mosquito on the wall of his home that somebody found during one of their Christmas gatherings. The whole family was there and they were like, dad, come and look at this. And there was a mosquito on the wall in their house in the middle of winter in upstate New York. So it's really never a good time to let that guard down. And it's just much easier to stay in compliance and stay in the habit and do your parasite prevention all year long. 
Well, that's really, really excellent information. I want to talk a little bit more about types of parasites and and things that my cat-loving listeners might uh, need to be aware of, but I want to take a quick break. So we'll be right back with Dr. Marinson after a quick word. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. Dr. Rick Marinson and I are talking about parasites and why people with indoor-only cats in the dead of winter still need to know about parasites. And, and I wanted to go over with you a little bit what we exactly mean about parasites. We talked about fleas, but there are tons of parasites that CAPC talks about and educates about. So let's talk about some of the other ones. So... Fleas are probably just the most well-known example. And again, because it's something clients can visually see and sometimes are even affected by directly by themselves to themselves. But the internal parasites can be just as bad and have an even bigger effect on the health of that animal. So let's start with intestinal parasites and two biggies that are really common in cats, hookworms and roundworms. So hookworms are more of a blood-sucking parasite. So anemia becomes the big potential disease process. But if you get enough of them in there, they can definitely cause GI upset. Roundworms are a larger parasite, more of a food-eating parasite, tend to create a little bit more bloating of the abdomen, diarrhea, that sort of thing. And one of the ways that people don't realize that this can come to their animal is these parasites can come directly from the mother to the kitten. In some cases, even while the kittens are still in the uterus. So literally these animals can be born with parasites. There are stages of these parasites that can remain dormant in their tissues and then reactivate at some point in their life without the cat actually having exposure to the parasite. So you have to stay vigilant. A few of these parasites can be terrible. And if you have young children in the house, Even more important, one of the most common causes of blindness in children under the age of five in the United States is roundworms that kids can catch from their pet. So it's not just about your dog or your cat. It truly is about protecting your whole family. Okay, so there's this little app or whatever on my phone, and it does like a round of applause. And so I put it on when I do my workout or whatever, my phone goes, yay! And I wish I could play it for you right now because (laughs) 
because yay. I mean, how many times have my staff and I heard somebody say, um, well, they dewormed her as a kitten and she has been inside ever since. And I still feel like we need to be checking those fecal samples. And that is the reason you just explained why we think that is so important. So thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about some of the cool services that CAPC provides to pet owners and veterinary professionals to help everybody be a little bit better about pet disease? Oh, that's a great, great question. So the first thing I'll promote, especially for your listeners, is our consumer website, which is called petsandparasites.org. Pets and Parasites, one long word, no separations, no dots, petsandparasites.org. This is information that is presented in a way that's really meant for the pet family to be able to understand and to look up information and to find additional resources that you can use. CAPSI as an organization, again, our, our initial thing that we promoted was what we call our guidelines, which was really more of a reference for veterinarians and veterinary students looking up a parasite, learning about its life cycle, learning how it becomes infectious, how to diagnose it, how to treat it. Then we got into a resource, and you can find this on Pets and Parasites. We call them our prevalence maps, where you can go to your state down to your county level, and you can look at what the number of dogs, cats, heartworms, hookworms, roundworms, whipworms, all these different parasites, how many animals in your county have been diagnosed with that. And you can do it by month. You can go back for years. I think we've got data going back to maybe 2012. And it is such an eye-opening thing to look at this information and then understand what your risk actually is. It presents it in a couple of different ways, but the most notable is there's a line in this information for any one parasite where it will say one out of every 20 cats was diagnosed with roundworms in this county and of this state. And so from the veterinarian standpoint, that makes me think that for every 20 cats that walk into my practice, one of them is going to have a parasite. So which one am I going to choose to ignore or choose to let suffer or put a family at risk? You don't know that ahead of time. You've got to test them all. So testing is incredibly important. And that prevalence map really brings that home because it's telling you historically what has existed in your area. So it's a phenomenal tool. Then because those maps were so successful, we thought, what if we take all this information we know about parasites and see if we could predict what they're going to do? So we teamed up with teams of mathematicians from Clemson. We came up with all of this creative data. It's some of its climate, some of it has to do with laboratory numbers, some of it has to do with socioeconomics, just some really interesting data and fed these into mathematical equations that are far beyond my pay grade to understand. And they were able to take this and populate maps so that now we're not talking about what happened last month or last year or five years ago. We're predicting for this next year, what is going to be the risk to your animal in your area? And initially, it was such new science that even some of the people on the board could not believe what we were seeing, especially with some of the tick-borne diseases. Lyme disease is a really good example. Everybody's heard of Lyme disease. It's a disease carried by ticks. It's a bacteria. It started in the Northeast. It's slowly spreading to other places. And our initial 
maps predicted that it was going to go south places down into Ohio and Tennessee and perhaps into Kentucky, places where it had not yet been identified. And we had parasitologists on our board that pushed back on that and said, this can't be right. We do not see Lyme disease in those areas. Well, again, this was a prediction. And sure enough, it came true. As we have taken our predictive maps and looked at them then in arrears, what has happened with with the actuality of it, we're proving more than a 90% accuracy on the prediction of those maps. So looking ahead to forecasting of all kinds of different parasites, it has been a super interesting journey. It allows people to understand what's going to happen in their area and make a better plan for their pet. And it also helps build trust in their veterinarian who has all along been telling them that they need to do these things. So I love it. And actually, I don't know if it it is set up this way for pet owners, but I know that it emails me with alerts and maps and things so that I can keep tabs on the pets in my area. So is that available for pet owners too? So there are some alerts that are available that way. You can kind of do it in two ways. I think most of those alerts that you're talking about should come through the veterinarian. And the idea is that the veterinarian signs up for their county, perhaps even surrounding counties, if you're in an area with lower population and your your practice might draw in people from multiple counties, you get an alert every month about what the incidence of parasites have been. And then you should turn around as a veterinarian and broadcast that out to your clients through email, through your social media, You can put up a whiteboard in your practice, however you want to tell people, hey, let's just not forget about this. You know, veterinary medicine has become so involved and so technical, and there's so much to know and to do. And just like the rest of life, sometimes you can get distracted and let your guard down for some of the most important things. And that tool of getting that alert, knowing what the numbers are, is such a good reminder to keep that emphasis in front of your clients all the time to remind them of how important parasite prevention is. Okay, so I have something interesting also to ask you. I want to know how has COVID impacted parasite control in vet care? And if you have any ideas for ways to kind of address the changes that COVID has brought. Oh my gosh. Well, what did COVID not affect in this past year? At the beginning of the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty and so much unknown and rightly so a lot of fear. I know in my practice in 2020, March, April, maybe somewhat into May, we saw a tremendous drop off in visits from our pet families simply because there was so much uncertainty and fear. We didn't know how to protect ourselves. We couldn't get out in public. And one of the bad things that happened then is that a large number of pets that were scheduled for their annual preventive care during that part of the year kind of got lost. They didn't come in, and after a certain point in time, medical software kind of stops reminding people, and the worry was that those pets were going to now be sort of neglected. You're going to fall off the map and not get in for your routine care, routine parasite testing, and to stay on your parasite prevention. 
Now, as it progressed and we started getting a handle on how to do it, I don't know if in your practice you're still doing it, but we are still curbside. It's a rare situation that we allow clients to come into the building still at this point. Really sensitive, emotional things like euthanasia, we find a way to make that work. But for the most part, people pull up, call us, tell us they're there. We go out, bring the pet in. We do the work. We get on the phone. We talk to the client. We bring the pet back out. And we've become very accustomed to this routine. So as we got that down, as we figured out how to do that, then suddenly we saw a lot of those animals that were lost in March and April came in now in August and September. Now, not only now are they delayed in their care, but it began to overwhelm some of our schedules. And we often became so busy that it became difficult to maintain the standards of care that I like to give to my patients and my families in my practice. So typically, people would understand this. You go see your veterinarian, you get your services done for your animal, their annual exam, their laboratory work, if they're due for vaccines, et cetera. And then a reminder is in their system so that one year later, you're going to be reminded to come back in. Well, now those patients, that were supposed to be there in March and April came in in September. Not only were they delayed, but now it's going to remind them for September of 2021. And I'm once again going to see my practice be overwhelmed with too many patients at one time instead of keeping them spread out over the year. Not to mention a lot of those people are purchasing their parasite prevention, sometimes on an annual basis. We don't want that to run out or to lapse or to somehow be missed. So, CAPC is advocating that veterinarians look at their reminder systems and try to make a manual adjustment. Bring those pets back to their normal time of the year so that A, when they come in, you will have the time to deal with them appropriately and provide all the level of care that you want to provide, but B, to make sure that there's not lapses in that care. And that takes a lot of work, but it only have to do it one time and then you'll be completely caught back up. You don't want to come around to 2021 and then suddenly see a lapse during that period of time again, only to feel overwhelmed again later in the year. So it's good for the pet owner and it's good for the practice. I agree. We are all still curbside as well. And we've even found a way to make euthanasias and things doable outside under a cover because my area is has been, our numbers have been so frightening. But um, we did go through a lot of our records and sent kind of an email blast about the parasite protection and making sure not missed. And, you know, we've kind of been trying, this is a really good idea. So for all my listeners out there, if your cat was supposed to be on an annual cycle in March or April, maybe even May, go ahead and get in and get things back on the schedule that it should be so that there is no lapse. That is really, really good advice. Thank you, Dr. Marinson. You're welcome. That's such an important thing. And and one of those little things that you know, we become to rely upon our technology so much. Those computers, our medical management software does so much for us, but it cannot anticipate situations like we went through in this past year. So it behooves us to give some thought to that, to put a little manual work back into it, do those email blasts, remind people, get them back onto a normal schedule. That'll be our best way of taking care of all of our patients in the best possible way. Okay, so before we wrap this up, I'm going to do my pitch and then hopefully you will will echo exactly what I'm saying. I really want all of my listeners, when you have an appointment at your veterinarian with your cat, take a fresh stool sample in for the veterinarian. Do you not agree? Does that not make life easier? You know, my front office staff reminds every client, 
please, please, please bring it. And, you know, I don't know what happens. People forget again, life is busy or they get concerned that, oh, what if it has cat litter stuck to it? That's okay. Bring it in. We can filter that out. What if it's a day old? That's okay. We can find it. I mean, I've seen paleontologists digging up dinosaur poop and finding parasites in it that's millions of years old. I think we can do a day old stool sample on your cat. You know, so it's just give us that sample, get it into us. It is such a critical part of the healthcare of their animals. So yes, bring the poop, bring the poop. Yeah, well, I have stricter rules. I don't want day old poop, but I have seen uh, I have seen some cat litter, you know, come through my office. <laughs> so we're okay on that. Well, this has been really fun. You know, I I do shows about poop on occasion and gross stuff, and it's always kind of fun. So I, I appreciate you coming to give us the the scoop on the poop and the parasites. And I certainly encourage all of my cat owners to to look up these resources. Can you tell us again the web address and how to find out about that stuff? Yeah, petsandparasites.org. And you'll have access to those prevalence maps, to the forecast maps. There is, um, again, I think I mentioned that we've gotten into mapping some other diseases as well. We've got a service now we call Pet Disease Alerts. And this is something that is a consumer-based item. You sign up for these alerts. And then if there is an outbreak of certain parasitic diseases and some non-parasitic diseases within your county or whatever counties you send up for, you'll literally receive a text alert to let you know that it is in your area. And that's another really valuable resource. It's under the heading of Pet Disease Alerts. I think you can go to PetDiseaseAlerts.com. And that is a Capsi product, but it's not, you're not going to find that on the Pets and Parasites website. So those would be the two, Pets and Parasites and Pet Disease Alerts. Pet Disease Alert, is it .com or .org? It might be .org. Okay, okay. So everyone out there, go and look up these things. I love these metrics. I love the fact that they can show me what things I need to be most concerned about and, and also that they make me feel good about the things that I'm doing to protect my personal pets and my patients. So so get out there and learn all you can about these. Thank you, Dr. Marinson, for coming. I enjoyed having you. I'd love for you to come back in the future and talk with us some more. I would love to do it anytime, Kat. And can I just say, we need more voices like yours spreading the word to pet owners. It's a great job that you're doing, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm kind of a loud mouth, so it works out really well. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, so all of my listeners, I want to thank you for your amazing loyalty because we continue to win awards for our podcast. I also want to thank my producer, Mark Winter, because without him, I would be nothing. And so I want you all to go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.